Hey, I'm Elijah, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad that you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, it's been such an honor to be able to open the Word with you over this Christmas season. We continue to do so, and we continue looking at our series called Expecting. We talked a lot about our expectations this Christmas. There were, there were some expectations surrounding the Christmas story as well. And for the next two weeks of our series, we're going to look at some of those expectations from the Christmas story itself. Today, we're going to begin with the expectations of a young woman that had her life simply blown up by the plan of God. I'm sure you can imagine that we're considering the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. But it's so easy to think of, oh, she rode on a donkey. Ladies, if you're nine months pregnant riding on a donkey side saddle, how's that going to feel? Yeah, I could ask Hannah uh, Cunningham up here, but I won't this morning. Um, she's, uh, she's due very soon, and, but she's here this morning, and I can't imagine riding side saddle on a donkey. I'm sure she can't either. Um, but the reality is, is it's, it, and we look at the manger, and it's all sweet, and we got all the kids. and everything. It was chaotic. And we got to remember these are real people that went through a real time that brought a real Savior that really saved us. And... We want, to, we want to really consider part of this story. So if you have your Bibles, let's tune to, turn to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to start this morning. God was bringing his plan of salvation to earth. The Messiah that had been foretold thousands of years earlier was coming, and he would choose a teenager by the name of Mary. Yes, a teenager. Most, most, most scholars believe she was somewhere between the age of 13 and 17, 18. Joseph might have been in his early 20s. The reality is, is, This is a teenage girl. She would bring the very son of God, the one that would be called Emmanuel, God with us. This son of God would be born of a woman. So I want to read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. So let's read it together. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her her old age, has also conceived a son. And then this is the sixth month with her her, who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So first of all, I think you have to understand something. Mary is simply minding her business here. She is going along with her life. She has been betrothed to a, a man by the name of Joseph, who's a carpenter. She was legally pledged to be married to Joseph. 
Now, we could talk about some of that and understand that, that there was, um, marriages were arranged, and we can talk about, you know, whether that's right, wrong, or otherwise, but marriages were arranged. Now, I don't know. We tend to place our culture's sense of romance and, and all that good fluffy stuff here that Mary and Joseph were deeply in love. I'm not sure that's the case. I'm also not sure that's not the case. All right? I'm not sure what this looked like. I don't know if there were any romantical feelings, you know, but they may have been growing. The reality is she was betrothed to be married to Joseph, and there was a 12-month betrothal period. They were not allowed, and part of the culture, they were not to know each other. If you don't know what that is, you can talk to somebody else. I'm not going there this morning. But they were not, they were not to know each other for those 12 months, though they were committed to be married to each other. This was a preparation for them to get married. One of the coolest things of this period that we often miss in Jewish culture is the husband would be building a house for them as he prepared for this marriage. Now, we could go on to a whole other message and say that's part of why Jesus said, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. That's actually marriage language. We won't go into that. That's a whole other message for another time. But there's connections to all of this. But nevertheless, Mary would have taken this very seriously and would have been preparing herself to live according to God's law and follow the practices of her people as she was betrothed to Joseph. All right? This is a very serious thing that she was in the middle of. Then, well... An angel shows up. I don't know. Maybe that's normal practice for you. I don't, that's not normal practice for me. And not only is it just any angel. The archangel Gabriel. Like, high up angel. All right? And he comes and he shows up and he declares in verse 28, what does he say? He says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The next phrase is, is kind of funny to me because, well, yeah, she was troubled. An angel just showed up and is declaring this thing that the Lord is with her. And, but it's interesting. It, it, it says that she's troubled at what? The saying. I don't know. Again, I don't know about, maybe, maybe this was normal for Mary. I'd be freaked out at the angel first. I think she probably was to a degree. But she was concerned at the saying. She's like, wait a minute. Is this, is this going to be a tough time? I mean, if I'm favored with God, does that mean, oh boy, here comes God's plan. And it could be something way different from what I anticipated. She had to know something was coming. And she was troubled at the saying. Was it going to be a good thing or a bad thing? What was coming next? But then the real news comes. She's going to conceive and she's going to bear a son. His name would be called Yeshua. That's what would have been told to her, Yeshua, which means Jehovah saves. Now, the ramifications of this have not hit her yet. She's trying to figure out exactly how this is going to happen. She's got an angel. I mean, get the picture. Again, we can just read over this and think it's just kind of a normal thing. Big, huge, glorious angel in front of you saying that you are going to have a son. His name's going to be Jehovah saves. This is a little bit life-changing. A little bit. And she's in here going, but wait a minute. How's this going to happen since I'm a virgin? Again, you don't know what that means. You can go ask somebody else. I'm not going to go into that this morning. But the reality is she's going, how, how is this going to work? You're telling me this is going to happen, but I haven't, Joseph... Me, marriage, betrothal, all, can you imagine what's going through her mind? 
Again, we can come to this patch of scripture and just kind of read it over. Ah, oh, the nativity scene. No, this is craziness what's happening. Mary has got to be inside turmoil going, what is going on? What is happening? Then what about what Joseph would believe? Can you imagine what her thoughts were with that? You mean I got to go tell Joseph this too? How is all this going to play out? See, we've talked a lot about expectations this Christmas, and I want to tell you something. Even good things in life can cause us to have expectation issues. Even good things in life can cause us to have expectation issues. Things were not going to turn out the way Mary had thought they would. And Joseph eventually would be the same way. Mary would tell him what the angel said. Can you imagine Joseph's first response? Guys, what would your response be? Yeah, right. Uh Uh-huh, right? I mean, an angel came to you. Okay, Mary. All right, especially with all the shops we have in Lake Orion nowadays. You wonder what in the world. Anyway, we'll go to a different thing. But the reality is, is it's like, what are you thinking, Mary? Are you serious? Can you imagine the thoughts going through his mind? Because he would have expectations of finishing their home. He'd been putting work into that. Can you imagine that? That he'd been putting work into into their life together. And whether there was all the romantical feelings or not, I'm telling you, when you are committed to another person, you begin to act lovingly, man, those feelings come. And that it had, had more than likely begun for Joseph. And all of that was vanquished in a moment. And then he has to think, wait a minute, should I have her killed? Should I, should I stone her for being unfaithful because that was well within his rights as a husband whose betrothed wife had cheated on him? That was part of the law. That was the punishment in the law. No, he would decide to put her away quietly because he was a just man. And he loved God. Possibly even loved her. Man, the good guys always get hurt, don't they? So what was next? Mary's sitting there saying, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything wrong. This was God's call in her life. And he was about to do an amazing thing. But that didn't mean that her expectations were destroyed in the process. See, I would venture to say too that many times, if, at least sometimes, if not many times, we miss what God has for us because we cling to our expectations all too dearly. We want what me, we want more than what, we want God, more than what God wants. And we miss what God has. Can you imagine the blessing Mary would have missed if she hadn't have responded the way she did? I'm telling you this morning, I don't think I respond like Mary would have. Even if it's a big angel, I'd be like, no. I might have been like Moses. No, go pick somebody else. Go pick somebody else. I'm good. I've got a plan. Especially for those of you in this room that are planners. That's a whole nother message. I won't go there. I won't go there. (laughs) But listen to how Mary responds in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She responds and says, look, I'm your servant, God. I'm God's servant. While she's trusting her heavenly father, though, I'm sure there was struggle. Her expectations would have to change, and, the, and she'd have to trust in the call of her father as being his conduit to, uh, 
to, to bring the Messiah into the world as she would be his conduit to bring Messiah into the world. She would give birth to the one that is in Isaiah 9, 6, where it says this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. As Mary went through all of this, she would need so desperately God to be her Wonderful Counselor. She would need to hear the words of, of her God as she went through this process. She would need him to be mighty because, well, like she stated so, so you know, truly, she's a virgin. The only way this is going to happen is if the mighty God does come on her like the angel did. But she would also need him to be her everlasting father. And that is the, that, that is the name of God that we're focusing on this morning, to be our everlasting father. And we need him to be all these things. We ourselves need him to be these things. Because there isn't one of us in this room that in some way doesn't identify with Mary. There isn't one of us in this room that have not had our expectations exploded by something or someone. The last two weeks, this has been a weird, I say a different Christmas for me. The last two weeks, I've been a part of three different funerals and another death. And there's just been a lot of loss around this Christmas, at least in the ministry that God has called me to. There's been relational struggles, there's parenting struggles, there's financial struggles, and our expectations of how this season is going may be blown up as well. Life itself, our expectations might be lying all over the floor. We didn't think we'd be where we are at 25, 35, 45, 65, whatever. I didn't leave you, sorry, 55, didn't want to leave you guys out. How many of us have had that thought? I didn't think this would look or my life would look like this at this point. Amen. Our expectations are blown up and laying all over the floor. And we're left with trying to make sense of it all. We need the wonderful counselor. We need the mighty God. And we need our everlasting father. And I have to say it at first glance, calling Jesus, the son, who is the son of God, the everlasting father, kind of sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? The son of God's the everlasting father. How can... The son be the father. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to blow anybody's minds this morning, but the father is different than the son. The son is different than the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. We, if you want to have questions about that, you can talk to me about that later. But the reality is, it's a little weird when we try to call Jesus our everlasting father. And we're going to get to that in a minute, but I want to suffice it to say so we can get it kind of, at least put it in the pin, a pin it in the back of our minds, is that to say that Jesus is a father is that, He's not the father that, that we necessarily pray to, but he's the father of creation as he is the creator. He is the originator. When you call somebody a father in the Old Testament, it can also be the originator of something. Satan is the father of lies. In our world, we have the father of air flight. We have the, I mean, we call people father of things when they are the originator. And that's really what is being spoken of when referring to Jesus as our everlasting father. So I'll pin that so we at least get some grasp of it. And let's talk about what the ramifications are. We got to talk about what the words are. First, he is everlasting. He's our everlasting father. It's something that we have to know about Jesus the Messiah is that the one who was born as Messiah did not start existing in the manger. He didn't just all of a sudden, now he's here. He has been from the beginning of time. 
And that's hard for us to imagine because we all had a beginning. And when somebody is born, that is their beginning. And so our idea of Jesus can sometimes be skewed that all of a sudden, oh, he just came in the manger. No, he was before time began. He always has been, always will be, but I don't want to get too far ahead of my message. We have to know that the Messiah always was. He was in the beginning with God, John 1.1. 1, 1. He didn't come into being when he was born to Mary. Right? We have to remember that when we studied Revelation a few months ago here at the river, that Jesus' name is revealed as the one who was and is and is to come. And that encompasses all that Jesus is as our everlasting father. The reality is he was and he is now. That's another thing that we can easily forget. We go, he's alive, yay, Jesus is alive. And then we're kind of like, okay, now what? He's alive, which means he is alive now, right now. Not just then, not in the future, but now. He's in the middle of your struggle. He's in the middle of your expectations that can leave you in shambles. He is alive today. Hebrews 1, 10 to 12 says this, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. He is the same as he was then, today. He is the same today. He doesn't change and he is everlasting. He is everlasting. So he was, he is now, and he will always be. He will never cease to exist because he's everlasting. He's the father of eternity. And we have to grasp this in order to fully understand why we need him as our everlasting father. Because as our expectations lie on the floor, we have to know that we have a savior who is with us in the middle of our junk. In the middle of what we struggle with. I love this quote from Spurgeon. He's one of the, I, call, I affectionately call them the old dead guys that I like to quote from time to time because he's really, really smart. He lived in the 1500s, 1600s, somewhere in there. But it's just a great quote from one of his messages he, he preached. I have another one later on in the message. Spurgeon says this, he lives and lives to care for us. He lives in all the attributes which adorned him upon the earth as gentle and kind and gracious now as he was then. Come to him, Christian, Rest upon him now, just as if he were visible in this place and you could tell into his ear your troubles and confess your sins at his feet. He is here spiritually. Your eyes cannot see him, but faith will be better evidence to you than eyesight. Trust him now with your cares. Rest upon him in your present difficulties. And thou poor sinner of Christ were on this platform. Wouldst thou not come and touch the hem of his garment and cry, Jesus, let thy pitying eye look on me and change my heart. Well, dear friend, Jesus lives. He is the same today as he was in the streets of Jerusalem. And though your feet cannot bear you to him, yet your, desire, yet your desires shall serve you instead of feet. And though your finger cannot touch him, your confidence shall be instead of a hand to you. Trust him now. He whose love made him die lives on. His precious blood can never lose its power. Come ye now, humbly come and confide in the everlasting father. We can come to him today because he's the same then as he is today and he always will be. He will not change. So he is everlasting but he is our everlasting 
Father. You know, the biggest way Jesus is our Father is that he represented us as our substitutionary sacrifice as he died in our place. You're like, substitutionary sacrifice. That's exactly what it means. It means he died as a substitute for me, for you. He died in our place. But how does this happen? If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 5. We have to see this because this is how he is the father to us. He's the father of salvation. We go to Romans chapter 5. I'm not going to read necessarily anything specific here, but I want you to see it in the, starting in verse 12. It talks about how all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 3. But Paul talks about in Romans why this is the case. Because Adam was the father of sin. Adam first sinned, and so because Adam was our representative without Christ, Adam is our representative, we all die because of the sin that has been passed down generation to generation to generation. And people are like, wait a minute, though. I thought, you know, how do we know that that's been passed down? Do you ever have to teach a baby to figure out how to work the system? No, you don't. They know inherently how to work the system. To get what they want. What's the core of sin? Selfishness. It's living for ourselves. None of us have to learn that. It comes naturally. Because it came all the way from Adam's choice. And we've all made the same choice ever since. And so if we stay in Adam, the father of sin, what happens to us? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life and through Jesus Christ our Lord. So through Jesus, he is the father of salvation. He is the originator of salvation. Sin came through Adam. Salvation comes through Jesus. Because he lived a perfect life for you and for me in our place and died in our place so that we can have life. That's how he is our father. He gave us life. When you think about it, that's what a father does, isn't it? A father isn't a father without giving another person life. 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life, my friend. We're going to talk about this more in depth in a few minutes. But if you do not have the son of God this morning in your life, you may think you have a life, but you do not. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't, you don't. It's as simple as that. But he's also the author and the finisher of our faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Scorning, despising its shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the founder of our faith. He is the father of our salvation. And because of him, we can be alive. That is an awesome gift. (coughs) And that's how we recognize he is our father. But there's another thing that our God is. That Jesus is. Psalm 68.5. This is a verse that has meant so much to me in my lifetime. He's a father of the fatherless. And a protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Can I tell you something this morning? Our God is what we need 
and or don't have in every situation we can face. He is that person. He is that thing. Specifically here would be for the father who's not there. Who wasn't who he should be. Or father who hurt you. He is a father to you. Many of you in this room have heard my story, so I'm not going to go in depth in it today. But I grew up, my dad was in the house, but he was not a father. He was bedridden from the time I was two years old, weighed 800 pounds my entire life, and was an angry, angry man. I often acted as though I didn't have a dad. I had to because it's the only way I could cope. I would tell people they didn't have a dad. But Jesus was a father to this fatherless one. I'm convinced I wouldn't be able to be used of God the way he's using me if my dad's influence had been in my life. God had a plan, even though it hurt, and my expectations were all over the floor, have always kind of been all over the floor. Because it's never been the way it should be. Anybody identify with that it's never been the way it should be? But I have found that my God has been faithful in every situation and he has been everything I've needed when I needed it. Even when I didn't know I needed it. And he can be that for you today as your everlasting father. And I'm convinced God's heart broke with mine and all the times when I struggle with not really having a dad. I wish my kids could have known their grandfather. I wish my wife could have met my dad. We have expectations, don't we? Every single one of us have broken expectations, unmet expectations in this room. Your eternal father, your everlasting father knows and you can bring those broken things to him and he will be what you need at the foot of the cross every single time, every single time. I want to go back to Mary's story and her expectations. Because she would rejoice in the everlasting father in the middle of her blown up life. She would trust the heart of her father. She knew some of what was happening because she knew who Messiah would be. That's a whole nother message. We could talk about everything she would know about what Messiah was. And they got an angel saying the Messiah is coming through you. I mean, what? Right? Talk about memes all over social media in, in Israel during that time, Right? it's mind-blowing what, what the angel was saying. And we don't always grasp that because we don't have that historical understanding. Little did she know that her son would be the one that would save her the way that he would. You know that song, Mary, Did You Know? Uh, Jeannie told me the other day, I haven't had, a chance, haven't had a chance to read or listen to this, but there's a meme somewhere that says, for every line of the song, Mary, did you know? It's like, yes. That your baby boy would, you know, it gives the yes and no answers to every question. It's kind of funny. It sounds funny to me, at least. I guess you had to be there. Um, but 
the reality is, is there's something she knew and there's something she didn't know. There's something she didn't know. I can't imagine she would know that. I think she'd have the same mentality everybody else did. Surely he's going to come and he's going to save us from Rome because that was what was right in front of them. Rome was the oppressive power. Rome was the one that was taking all of the freedom away. Little did she know that she needed to be saved from something so much deeper and so much more damaging. And that is the sin that was in her heart. No, my friends, Mary was not immaculate, nor was she perfect. She was simply willing. She needed a savior that came through her like anybody else did. But this son of hers would restore her relationship to the heavenly father because he is her everlasting father. After she had this encounter with the angel Gabriel, she had her conversation with Joseph, she would go to her cousin's house. She would go to her cousin's house, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth would take her in for a time. She would stay there for a period of time, possibly to stay out of the public eye so the people didn't talk as much, at least not back in Nazareth. I think that's probably part of it. She was trying to stay out of the public eye. And in Luke chapter 1, if you have those Bibles, back, back to where we were in Luke chapter 1, I want to read what, what happens here. Verses 39 to 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed, (laughs) blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. See, all Mary was was willing. What an experience. That as soon as Mary speaks, John the Baptist, inside inside his mama, already started declaring who Jesus was. Wow. At this time, Mary figured out, I think, for sure, that all this was going to come to pass. She decided to obey and to trust, even though she was going to go through all these expectations that were now blown up, but she would trust what God was going to do in her and through her. She knew that the Father was loving her and using her. And you want to know why I know that? Because what she did next was worship. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. See, when you obey the Lord, even when your expectations are all over the floor, you see God begin to work. The only response we have is to worship him. Because he takes us to places we would never go on our own. He helps us to do things that we would never do on our own. He helps us to be the men and women that we would never be on our own. Yeah, your expectations may be laying all over the floor. And for that, I am so sorry. Because some of us in this room are experiencing pain. Some of us in this room are experiencing loss. And I want you to know that your everlasting father this morning feels that with you and is with you in every tear that falls. He is ever present every time you remember that loved one who you lost. He is with you every time you're concerned about a relational or a financial struggle. He has not left you. He is, we will never leave you. He will never forsake you because he is your everlasting father and he loves you. But I have a question for you this morning. Is Jesus your everlasting father? Is he your everlasting father? Because when our expectations are laying all over the floor, we look to all kinds of things in our lives to try to make sense of it, to try to fill those holes, to try to go, hey, I can figure this out. Are you looking to your origins? Are you looking to your family to fix things? Are you looking to loved ones to fix things? Are you looking to the fact that, oh, my family was with God forever, and so so am I. I just know he's here. You know, I'm good. <coughs> Maybe you were raised in a Christian family, and you think you're all set. What did Jesus tell us? Well, he talked to this guy named Nicodemus one time, who thought the same thing. Because his family was the family of Abraham. He thought he was good. He's the father of the nation that God used. I'm good. Jesus said in John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying here, what family you were born in does not matter. It matters what your choice is today. Have you chosen Jesus as your everlasting father today? Have you chosen him? Because we all have a choice to to, to make when it comes to who Jesus is. Maybe you're thinking, I'm a good person. I do good things. People, I love people. I'm just that person, you know. I don't really need this religious stuff. I, I, I don't need to come in and I don't need to go to church and be a part of all of this, you know, official things and blah, blah, blah. And I want to tell you this morning, you are absolutely correct. You don't need religion. You don't need religion. You need Jesus. Every single one of us in this room needs Jesus today. Religion can go away. It's about Jesus. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you chosen Jesus as your eternal Father today? This is the question you have to answer this Christmas. Because with expectations all over the place, I'll tell you one place your expectation will never die. And that is if Jesus will save you if you call on his name. 
That expectation will be filled every single time when you call on the name of Jesus. Your life may not look like you thought it would, but I'll tell you what, you can have confidence in the one who died for you, who came to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and our prince of peace. Because he says later, of his peace and his government, it shall never end. It shall never end. You are loved more than you could ever know. But my friend, your sin has destroyed you more than you could ever imagine. It has separated you from God. And he comes to you today and he says, hey, come to me, all who are weary and heavy heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You want to know what that rest is? It's forgiveness of your sin at the foot of the cross. That is the message of Christmas because he is the one who came to be born to die in your place, in my place. Spurgeon again says it so well that if you trust in your good works, well, then Adam is your father and you know what will come of you. Adam was driven out of paradise and you will never be admitted there. Adam lost all of his hopes and you will lose yours. On the ground of the law shall no flesh living be justified. Alas, I fear that, there, that many here may have another father. How does Christ put it? You are of your father, the devil, says he, for his works you do. Not works merely of open sin in the form of adultery, uncleanness, theft, and such like. But opposition of Christ is peculiarly a work of the devil. And unbelief in Christ is the devil's masterpiece. If you do not then trust the Lord Jesus, do not say tonight when you kneel at your bedside, Our Father which art in heaven, for your Father is not in heaven, your Father is in hell. Spurgeon doesn't pull any punches. But if you go to the blood of Jesus and ask that you may be cleansed from all iniquity, then you may say through the everlasting Father, O God, you have made me your child and I love and bless your name. May God be pleased to give you all his blessing for Jesus' sake. Do you have the son today? Because if you have the son, you have life. But my friend, if you sit here today and you're not sure that you have the son, Jesus said it, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Sorry, it wasn't Jesus, it was John. If you don't have the son this morning, you don't have life. And you have a different father. Would you come to him today? Would you come to the cross today? Knowing that he will forgive you of your sin freely. He stands with his arms open for you, waiting. And if you would just call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. You believe who he says he is. He's the son of God. You believe that he did what he said he did. He died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins and mine. 
You call on his name and you'll be saved right where you sit. Do you have the son today? Is Jesus your eternal father today? He can be. Christian, if you're sitting here this morning and he is your eternal father, be reminded that he has never left you nor has he forsaken you. And I don't know what you're facing today, but he does. And he loves you in the middle middle of all of it. Don't forget how much you're loved. Don't forget it. And if you need help, reach out to God first. And then let the people that love you know, because God will use them in your life. Do you have the son today? If you're not sure, I would love to speak to you. I don't care if I'm talking to somebody else. Pull me aside and ask me about how to have Jesus in your life. I'd be honored. There's people that guest services that would love to speak with you. Is Jesus your eternal father this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are our everlasting father. Jesus, for those this morning that do not have you, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in this place and, that our, and move in our hearts so that we might come to know you and come to the foot of the cross and call on your name so that we can have our sins forgiven and we can know you as our everlasting Father. God, for those that do know you but are just struggling, God, I pray that the reminder of you as our everlasting Father that would never leave us or forsake us, that is with us every step of the way, that is, that is the Father to the fatherless. God, I pray they would know your presence today and that they'd be reminded of how much they're loved and they'd be able to take that pain, that broken expectation to you. And then they might see a little glimpse of who you're making them to be. Thank you for being our everlasting Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.